0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Today we have Dr. Melanie Hutchinson on the show today. Now if you've been following Gills Club for a little while now, you might be familiar with Melanie and her work, but since her original feature, she has gotten her PhD and continued on with some pretty exciting shark research. Now, something that we haven't done a while in the podcast is a species feature. So today I wanted to bring it back and talk a little bit about the oceanic white tip, since this is a species that Melanie and I do talk about throughout the episode today. Now, what's unique with them is that they are a bycatch in commercial fisheries and also combined with their demand for their fins as well. They're frequently caught in pelagic long lines and purse seines and gillnet fisheries throughout the world, and as well as their fins being highly valued in the international trade for shark products. But in 2018, the NOAA fisheries did list the species as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Now, throughout the interview today we will be hearing about some of the initiatives that have been taking place due to the research that melanie has done on this species so it's very exciting that we get to hear about some of the work that she has done with them now they are a pelagic shark they're found in tropical and subtropical oceans throughout the world where specifically today we will be learning about them off the coast of hawaii We will also be learning about the research Melanie has done with big eye thresher sharks and as well as blue sharks too, and how we can collaborate with local fishers to improve our knowledge of sharks throughout the world. So let's get into it and let's hear our interview from Dr. Melanie Hutchinson welcome everyone to another interview for our gills talk podcast today we have gills club scientist dr melanie hutchinson from all the way in beautiful sunny hawaii so welcome
1: thank you aloha everyone
0: (laughs) thank you so much for coming on so just to kick it off i know oh gosh many years ago you were featured through the gills club but now it is definitely due for us to get an update for what you are doing or what you have done since your last feature so
1: what is your current research focused on? Yeah, that was a long time ago. I think I was still in grad school when, when they did that cartoon thing. I still, I still absolutely love that cartoon. <laughs> I graduated in 2014 with my PhD, graduated. and then I got a job working at the Pacific Islands Fishery Science Center as a NOAA affiliate through the University of Hawaii in the Fisheries Research and Monitoring Division, and then more acronyms um, in the International Fisheries Program. Mm -hmm. And so my job, because I had also in that time been awarded a big sum of funding from the NOAA Bycatch Reduction Engineering Program, was to conduct a study to get quantitative estimates of post-release survival rates for five different species of sharks that are captured in longline fisheries and then to identify um, best handling practices. And so I've been doing that for the last seven years, actually. And I just submitted the final draft of the manuscript to my co-authors. And um, actually the, we tagged like 275 different animals. Wow. And yeah, and yeah, you know how there's different regional fishery management organizations for highly migratory species associated with tuna fisheries. Mm-hmm. So in the United States, we have the um, U.S. Water Regional Fishery Management Organizations. But then, because a lot of the species are not just staying within U.S. waters, they're kind of transboundary. There's also international regional fishery management organizations. And um, so the one for the Pacific is the Western, the U.S. Regional Fishery Management Organization. So many words. <laughs> so, many, so many words. I call it Westpac for short, sure, but it's the Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council took the results of the study where we we have quantitative estimates of mortality, but we also show that it matters how the fishers handle them and release them. And then also one of the big um, results from the study was that the amount of trailing gear that is left on a shark had a large impact on post-release survival rates and also duration. And then also the gear configuration. So in the Hawaii tuna fisheries, there's a seabird bycatch mitigation regulation where the fishers have to have a 45 gram weighted swivel within one meter of the hook to sink baits. But if a shark is caught on one of those, they can bite through. And so most of the fishermen will use wire leaders because if the weight comes back at the boat, it's hit people and killed them. Oh, wow. So it's super dangerous. But when fishers, so fishers were using wire leaders for that, but also when they were finning sharks prior to 2003, um, they wanted to retain sharks. So there was wire leaders. So it was just kind of this pervasive use of wire leaders and so what this study showed was that if you use monofilament leaders, um, not only are more sharks able to bite through and come off early mitigating mortality to things like oceanic white tip shark, which is now on the US endangered species list as threatened, but they also survive longer post-release because the gear broke away probably earlier, since we weren't really able to track that. So Westpac then worked with the industry to create a regulation where all of the, the entire fleet is moving away from wire leaders to monofilament leaders. And there are now handling practice regulations that are being um, implemented to remove trailing gear from sharks. So that study had direct impacts to management that made me feel pretty good about what I had what I had done. Um so that that feels awesome. Wow. And then I also have like because I tagged 275 sharks, I have a ton of data. Yeah. So we're doing um now we're building some um species distribution models in collaboration with a couple other science centers and um tag users from the entire Pacific Ocean for seven different species. And so that's a really cool skill set sharing endeavor that we're we're working on improving our modeling skills and understanding environmental predictors and how they may influence habitat use and and movement behavior and then we're also working with um, some climate change scientists at the pacific island fishery science center so the outcomes of our species distribution models um, for these different species are then going to be put into the context of some climate change scenarios so that we can understand how shifting oceanographic regimes may alter the available habitat for different species. And then also for things like oceanic white tip shark, um, how climate change may influence vulnerability to fisheries capture. Look at overlapping habitats um, with some of the um, fishery targets. Um, so, So those are kind of keeping me busy right now and then (laughs) and then I have this other program it's called the Hawaii Community Tagging Program. We started working with some of the small-scale fishermen around Hawaii. Um, Initially we were trying to tag big eye thresher sharks because seasonally we get really large pregnant female big eye threshers that are captured in some of the um, nighttime small boat vessels that fish um, this open like kind of old style fishing style it's called ikashibi and you just go out at night and you set a couple of hand lines throw bait all night long and then find a nice drift throw a parachute to kind of slow your flow and then um, just wait for something to come and bite and so seasonally they were catching but huge pregnant big eye thresher sharks. And so initially I started fishing with a bunch of those guys, trying to get some tags on um, the big eye threshers. And um, that was at the same time that oceanic white tip sharks were being assessed for listing under the US Endangered Species Act. But we were catching a ton of oceanic white tips. And then I was also fishing with all these different fishermen that were telling me about you know, what their interactions are like. and um, how they deal with the with the oceanic white tips and i was like oh guys you cannot do what you're currently doing like we have to we have to fix this like the this species has exhibited major major evidence of global population declines like if they're aggregating around hawaii for some sort of biological purpose we have to do everything that we can to conserve them and so that project is this kind of cool program where we work with the fishermen to put tags on oceanic white tips that they're catching incidentally um, while tuna fishing and then a couple other pelagics opportunistically when we get tags and we've got i think we've put out like close to 500 tags it's a combination of electronic tags so i think we have like 75 acoustic tags close to 75 satellite link tags on oceanic White Tip and silky shark. And then um, a whole bunch of identification tags that the fishers have also put out. So we've learned a lot about shark interactions in the small boat fishery, but also um, we've created this whole like bridge of communication that didn't really exist with the fishers before. And so that's kind of been one of my um, like pet projects, but one that I'm super proud of because of our engagement with the fishers. And um, we actually just filmed a National Geographic episode. I think it's called Planet Shark, I think. So it'll be airing in July and it was featuring how the fishermen are contributing to the science. That, yeah, that's one of our other big endeavors out here in this very middle of the Pacific Ocean.
0: <laughs> I like, do you have a clone of yourself like running around behind you somewhere? Like you <laughs> there's so much work that you are 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 doing. Like yeah. how do you compartmentalize
1: that all? We've been super busy. I I mean I I don't. It's more like it's just a constant juggle and I'm constantly dropping balls, but like, you know, <laughs> you have ridiculous expectations of yourselves and others, and then um, sometimes you deliver, and sometimes you don't. And then, like I've actually just gotten a lot more comfortable with the I can't do everything, mm-hmm. but um, we've also been, I've been able to hire people. And so um, as these projects have grown, we've brought on a couple different people that are so awesome and really smart and really effective and energetic, and so. I have this cool team of people that I work with and we're starting to finally, we've we've had all these people doing all this tagging for us because the longline study, we were working with the observer program. So it was observers that were actually doing the tagging on observed trips. And then a couple captains in the longline fleet were also doing some of the tagging. So, I mean, we've got like a hundred people doing all the tagging. So they're getting all the tags out. And then um, now we finally, have enough data where we can start like really doing some cool analysis and so we'll start pumping out papers soon.
0: That's awesome. So for anyone that's listening and might be unfamiliar with the NOAA observer program, um, back in January, January, we had Dr. Cindy Trebizio on. She is out of the Alaska NOAA side of things and she really dives into the observer program there. So if anyone has questions about observers, go back to that episode and learn all yeah. about that there. But you said that you were really focusing on, on one of your projects, um, five species of sharks. You did mention um, yeah. the pregnant threshers um, and then also mm-hmm. the um, the oceanic white tip, but what other sharks then are you sampling out there?
1: For the, for the post-release survival study, um, it was big eye thresher, oceanic white tip, silky shark, blue shark, and short fin mako.
0: Nice. So is there one that did you see like more often than other or was there anything that was any like surprise to you when you would
1: see them? No um I also was a fisheries observer so the reason that like that study was successful was because I have wanted to do it since I was a fisheries observer and um but I had to go to grad school and then also like work with the scientific committees to identify the funding opportunities so it took a long time to get there but um the five species that we chose for that study are the five most frequently captured species. Okay. They're also, they're, they're called key species or management unit species for the different RFMOs. So they are the ones that the RFMOs are as, actually tasked with managing. So it was super deliberate that we chose those five species. But I mean, to answer your question, blue sharks are 95% of the shark bycatch in tuna longline fisheries. And so we saw a ton of blue sharks. <laughs> I mean, what a- Which are the hardest to get out actually. Yeah. Because the encounter rates are so low. So that was um, that was another reason that I started working with the small scale fishermen around Hawaii was because they're encountering them so often that we were way it was way easier to get tags out locally than it was to get them on out on the longline fleets. But the question for that project was what are the post-release survival rates in that fishery um, with the set of conditions that we had applied for the study. So yeah. What a full circle moment for you, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know yeah. I'm at the culmination of a couple really cool things. So i it's gonna feel good when those are actually like out in the world. Mm -hmm. I really like
0: that you, I mean, if it is with the small boat fishermen that you were working with, or with just all the departments that have to go into any of the projects that you are working on, I feel like collaboration is such a huge key for you, right? And having that communication with all them. Can you, I'm really interested in more with the fishermen, like how did you even start that relationship and that collaboration with them? Cause I know in some areas where it's still very much that negative connotation with science mm-hmm. and scientists and to have that, that Fisher folk be able to, you know, let you in and to be able then to learn more about what they do and to have that share that in, information. Like how,
1: how was that like to get started? Yeah, actually it was um, it took a long time because mm-hmm. Hawaii Most of the fishers are Hawaiian, the the small-scale fishermen, and they're super distrustful of scientists, managers, telling them how to manage their resources, also kind of blowing it sometimes. When they do share information, a lot of times it's kind of like shot them in the foot or come and backfired on them where there's been closures that weren't really based in science. And so there's a lot of distrust and... I'm a Holly chick from California coming to like work on sharks and tell them how to interact with them. Like, no, that's just not (laughs) how things work around here. You know what I mean? And so, um, so I think it was just kind of organic in that um, one of the first fishermen that I started fishing with, he was, I I think like a well-respected fisherman in the community. And I was just, 100% interested in the biology of big eye threshers Mm -hmm. and and so and I knew that there was um, sometimes fight times are like two hours to get the animals off their lines but then there was a study in California that showed that fight times greater than 85 minutes was total mortality for anything that was on the line for longer than that and so I was like we could do something like that here you know like at some point you guys just cut them off so, so it was just the, 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 fishing that we were doing, we were on boats all night long and the fisherman that I was working with, he would always bring different guys to help us. And so I was actually meeting all these people and then like, they don't really want to deal with sharks at all. You know, they're just trying to get them off their gear and get them yeah. out of the area. But I was like, no, watch this. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to tie them <laughs> the side of the vessel. And then I'm going to tag it. And and at that time, we were also um, doing like a surgical incision into the ventral cavity of some of the species that we were interacting with and putting acoustic tags in them and and sewing them up. Some were just getting satellite tags. So these dudes were watching me do that. And they were just like, what is going on? This is nuts. Like this chick is crazy. But we had this whole 14 hour exchange of stories and information and I was learning so much from them, but then I was also able to answer a lot of their questions about like conservation why why does why do, why are sharks important in an, a healthy ecosystem? Um, the basic biology of sharks and like reproduction I mean, a lot of them had no idea that they were late ages of that maturity and only had like like big eye threshers only have one pup every three years or something like that. and so, I think it just kind of changed the way that they think about them. And then also like when you're working together and spending all that time together, you develop these relationships. And so that was kind of how it started. And then because it is kind of a small community, people kind of vouched for me and that matters a lot around here. I think that that was kind of how it all started. I mean, a lot of them don't want to have anything to do with the project, which is understandable. Yeah. but um a lot of them have gotten a lot out of it and they all and then with the other thing that i think really helped was that every time they got out we got a tag out and a tag reported we would share them share the data with them and be like oh look what your shark did and this is so cool how interesting and they were just like what oh my god that's so yeah. awesome i think it was just kind of the the back and forth and you know just like this is what, this is what I'm doing and this is what these tags do. This is why I think it's important. And so I think like the integrity of the project kind of, kind of, and then we are also paying them to put the tags out too, which helps. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think they've all gotten kind of a lot out of the relationships so far. So, but we started in 2015. It's been a long time.
0: Mm-hmm yeah, i I'
1: love
0: to I love that story. I always like to hear that when we have other scientists that have those type of collaborations with fishermen and we have it with Hannah Med, who works with the on the beach fishermen in in, in Florida they're bringing in like hammerheads to shore and things like that so I always like to hear that type of collaboration because it's like you said they get so excited when you share them that tag data of of the shark that they tagged, and then it just gets them like I try not to be punny here but hooked to that but yeah but I think with all these species that you have been able to study, is there one along the way that has maybe like challenged you at all? Like, has there been a species that you've just been able to not like get what you wanted or like your end goal of your research? Like, does that make sense?
1: Animal telemetry projects are pretty classically super, super challenging because there's so much that goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And so like, big eye threshers is probably an excellent example so like my first big study with the with the small boat fishers around Hawaii the funding came in and then for some reason the university like wasn't executing approvals for my mission plans to Mm -hmm. get on these different boats and so I missed the whole first season of big eye thresher shark presence in Hawaii and it was like you have one year to spend this money and then like, like you said with federal funds, like you set up a contract, the contracts have to be executed within one year, but also like, I just didn't know how to navigate all these procedures. Cause it was, you know, my first year with NOAA, And so it was just, I mean, it was just such a, like brick wall after brick wall, after brick wall, and then a bunch of the tags failed. And wow. then like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just a mess that that first year with the big eye threshers was super challenging but then just animal telemetry products in general like with the post-release survival project the tag company had made a couple of miscalculations and so like a whole bunch of my tags failed with that first iteration so like 30 tags or something like that i couldn't trust the data and so like that is such a massive effort to get those tags out. It is uh-huh. so expensive. And so like when the tag developers are like, so sorry, we can give you your tags, it's like, thanks, but can you also pay for the hundred thousand dollars in vessel charters that it takes yeah. to get those tags out? <laughs> like, so I mean, it's always a huge gamble, but yeah, I guess tenacity <laughs> <laughs> helps, helps fill the data gaps
0: yeah. yeah absolutely so with all the research that you've been explaining so far has there been something that after all of the analysis is done I know you have a lot of analysis to go yet as well but has there been anything that you've had so far that you were just blown out of the water by you were completely surprised by it that something was like almost like a huh I didn't expect that to happen or anything like that
1: not really I Blue sharks consistently kind of blow me away with their sort of physiological resiliency and plasticity. And so um, our tag data that showed the super deep dives into very, very cold water with blue sharks, I found really intriguing because a lot of the other species that exhibit deep diving behavior and like the physiological ability to... um, will dive to depths of like a thousand meters and then also keep their heart beating in two degrees Celsius. Typically, they're not very robust to fisheries capture. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, hammerhead sharks, you know, like physiologically, if you look at them and scare them, they're dead, you know? Like, (laughs) they're so sensitive. And so um, these blue sharks were exhibiting vertical foraging dives. I think they're foraging dives that were reminiscent of some of the stuff that we were seeing with our scalloped hammerheads. Mm. And so I just thought that was just so fascinating because they're the most robust to fisheries capture. I, their stock assessments show that the populations are fun and they are 95% of the shark bycatch in pelagic long fisheries. And so they just like, I think that they're just the most intriguing species. <laughs> Cause they kind of blow away all the norms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There's always just so
0: much more to learn, right? Just, just when you think you yeah. figure it out, they just throw something else yeah. at you. You never go. Yeah. Know. <laughs> but to wrap up our interview then today, I would love to know, I mean, you have had copious amounts of experience. So I'm sure you have a great piece of advice you would probably give to your younger self starting off in this role.
1: I got into the shark game after being a fisheries observer. Mm -hmm. And so like as a kid, I wasn't super into sharks or anything like that. But for someone that is my, for my younger self, I wish that I would have been better at school. (laughs) And I wish that I would have tried harder Mm -hmm. um, to like develop better study skills because things do get harder when you get older. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't really have study skills. And I also did not, I did not take any of my statistics courses or computer programming courses very seriously. Like I just kind of did what I had to, to pass. And I really wish that I would have developed those skill sets because in the future, like that is what's marketable. You know, it's not the biologists that can go fishing and deal with being in a terrible, horrible conditions like those, those positions are being kind of phased out and what's needed are people that can program have really solid quantitative skill sets to answer like the bigger management questions, you know, some of the more basic biological questions have been addressed, or at least there's data sets that exist, you know, where you you can still deal with them. I think for the kids that are listening today, like develop your computer programming skills, develop your quantitative skills, but then also um, go find your animal out in the real world that you love and make sure that you see it in its environment, because some of the stuff that you do see on a screen, like you won't understand it unless you kind of know what they're doing out in nature you know and kind of know what it what what it's like in the fisheries setting you know what i mean so like i i would i would being a fisheries observer is the worst job in the world but if someone is interested in fisheries i feel like you should do a contract and get on a couple boats and see yeah. what goes on out there it'll just make you so much better at your job mm-hmm. in the future definitely get your sea legs for sure yeah you get your sea legs <laughs>
0: well thank you so much for coming on today this has been fascinating here with everything you've been doing and to have an update from you so thank you
1: thank you for having me nice to see you guys thank you so
0: much for listening to this episode of the gills talk podcast please remember to rate subscribe and review and as always remember to stay curious stay inspired and always learn and we'll catch you on the next episode bye everyone